Welcome back to another Cardinals Off Day podcast. The Cardinals are 50 and 50 on pace to win. Let's see, uh, 15, 25, try the one on pace to win 81 games, uh, exactly 500. Uh, ben, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, the Cardinals uh, came out mashing in Cincinnati today to get back to 500, um, but unfortunately, uh, still have some leapfrogging to do in the National League Central and running out of games in which to do it with. So. Uh, we'll see if they add any players here at the deadline to help hopefully make that a little bit of an easier feat for them to perform. Uh, but right now it's, it's looking like a tall task to play in October for the Redbirds. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something I'm going to touch on uh, in just a moment. But before we get to that, uh, what have you learned? Our last uh, podcast was our uh, all-star break spectacular. I know it was uh, it was quite an event. Uh, you and I were, were hung over for several days afterwards, but we've had about 10 days to recover now. Uh, what have you learned in that time? Well, for those who didn't get invitations, the uh, Cardinals Off Day All-Star Break Spectacular Awards show is followed by a ton of awesome parties. And so oh, yeah. you have to drink a lot of Pedialyte uh, and really hydrate to bounce back <laughs> uh, after the awards ceremony and the after show, or excuse me, the after parties. Uh, there from the Cardinals off day all-star break spectacular. Um, what I have learned is I think something that, that some of the folks have touched on, and I know Moselock has been pushing, uh, this team and the lineup are a lot different when they have a healthy Tyler O'Neill, a healthy Harrison Bader, and a uh, healthy Dylan Carlson, although Carlson hasn't really been unhealthy. Maybe I should say a fresh Dylan Carlson uh, coming off of the all-star break. Um, and, you know, that really changes the complexion of this lineup. Also, Paul Goldschmidt firing on all cylinders uh, really changes the complexion of the lineup as well. Um, and one of the things I learned or had uh, perhaps reaffirmed for me is that hitting the ball hard is good. Uh, Goldschmidt was hitting the ball uh, hard, making good contact most of the first half. Uh, he just wasn't having much luck on batted balls. And the results count crowd didn't really go after Goldschmidt the way they have uh, other players. But uh, he continued doing his thing, and now he's looking like Paul Goldschmidt and has really helped carry this team to, to some victories supported by the outfield. And when you have... Those three outfielders, Goldschmidt, Arenado, suddenly that lineup's a lot deeper and a little bit more potent, and it's nice to see. And I think a lot of people were questioning the outfield at the start of the year, and I think uh, you know, as much question, questioning and criticism as we give the front office, we should recognize that, that they seem to have made good choices with who they selected to be their three primary outfielders coming into this season. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw, actually, uh, Zach Silver just uh, tweeted th this out this afternoon. I saw he noted that this is only the 27th game of the season that the Cardinals have had O'Neill, Bader, and Carlson, uh, all three in the starting lineup, and they're 17-10 uh, and 10 in, in those games. <laughs> and obviously, we're in small sample size theater there, but I think the overall point is, is still valid. I mean, this... It's a much better team with those three out there. Yeah, and even in just run prevention, I just talked about the lineup. But when you have those oh, yeah. three uh, in the outfield, I've, I have wanted to get to a game where all three of them were in the outfield. Uh, because I remember back in, I think, 2007 or 2008, uh, I snuck down and saw the Cardinals play the Rays. And it was when they had Crawford and Upton, and they had this really phenomenal uh, defensive outfield. And I remember a few balls off the bat for the Cardinals that I thought were like doubles and, you know, they were caught standing up and, you know, the, the Rays outfielders mm -hmm. didn't even really look out of breath from having done it. Um, and I really felt that changed the complexion of that series a lot because if you put it in the air and it had any hang time whatsoever, it was turned into an out. And I think that this Cardinals outfield with Carlson who, who, held down center field admirably, but I don't think anyone would say is an elite center fielder or even no. an above average one, but you put him in right, you have O'Neill in left who's spectacular and Bader, we all know is, is one of the best in the league. 
it really changes things. And for a staff that doesn't get a lot of strikeouts, that's an important difference. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you went, uh, you went positive for what did we learn? I'm, I'm a little more on the other side of things. And, and I think I learned that uh, it's going to be uh, just about impossible to get back into this race. And uh, I say that because the Cardinals have had a pretty good 10 days. They, they're seven and three over the last uh, 10 days, uh, which is quite good. Milwaukee is four and six over their last 10 days, assuming they lose to the White Sox tonight. And I'm just going to go ahead and assume that happens. Uh, the game's happening right now. So let's say that's the case. Uh, you know, that's a pretty good uh, break uh, in how things could go for the Cardinals. For the Cardinals to be seven and three, Milwaukee to be four and six. And yet at the All Star break, the Cardinals were eight games back of Milwaukee. And right now, uh, Assuming that result, uh, they will also be eight games back. Now, that's because, of course, Milwaukee had two off days, so the numbers don't quite line up. But the point is just, you know, the the Cardinals can play really well. Milwaukee can, you know, slump probably about as much as you can realistically hope Milwaukee to do, and you can still find yourself eight games back. So, uh, yes, they can chip away at this. Yes, 2011 happened. Yes, this is still a possibility, but it's it's really gonna gonna take something for them to turn that around um and that kind of i think segues us a little bit into the first topic we want to talk about or at least touch on you know during that uh all-star break spectacular you and i each proposed a a trade that we thought was you know if not of course exactly a trade that the cardinals would make the, the type of trade we thought they might make here at the trade deadline uh and both of us our trades kind of similarly were uh, we might call kind of small upgrades um, at the major league level, um, but definitely aimed at being, you know, competitive longer into this season or making a run if you really want to be optimistic about it. Uh, ben, has your expectation of what the Cardinals are going to do in these last few days before the trade deadline changed at all? Uh, not really. I think that they need a left-handed bat, and I think the outfield is the easiest place to make that happen. Um, and I I would not be surprised to see them add that type of bat, but one that is under control through the end of next year as well. Um, and by that same token, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened at second base as well, uh, because you know we've all kind of learned as you pointed out uh, probably about a month or two ago that Tommy Edmond isn't really a switch hitter. He just pretends to be one. And um, he is a platoon partner. And if Schilt isn't going to platoon him with Carpenter, which I think they probably should do, uh, they need to find someone who Schilt will platoon him with. Um, well, and even if they should platoon him with part with Carpenter, given what they have right now, they could certainly upgrade that in a lot of ways. Well, know? yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, the, the instruction manual is like Carpenter starts against a righty. If when you get the lead past the fifth, you bring Edmund in for his fielding. If they bring in a lefty reliever, you bring Edmund in to face the lefty. And if you if Carpenter reaches base after the fifth inning, he comes out for a pinch runner in Edmund. You know, it's it's right. trying to leverage their skill sets, which Carpenter he's still making good contact and taking good plate appearances. And and right. can still hit right-handed pitching, Edmund can't, and so you play him against the righty, and then you use his other, you try to leverage his other skills. He's a very good fielder. He's a very good base runner, and so, you know, they have such a slim margin of error, as you said, the odds are less than five percent they're going to make the postseason. They have to do everything they can to get every possible advantage, and. Um, you know, if it's not Carpenter, you need to find someone else that the manager is willing to play. Um, yeah. And I once again feel like we're kind of running into the front office versus the manager and kind of this disjointed uh, kind of outlook on what the roster is and how it's going to be used. But, um, you know, that's a discussion for another day. But I, I feel like that type of complementary piece uh, or a starting pitcher that helps reinforce the rotation next year but pitching yeah. is in such high demand, the prices are going to be so high. Uh, and with the relatively good news they've gotten about Michaelis and Flaherty, I expect to hear Danny Mack saying, it's like they just traded for an ace and a number four pitcher um, a lot over the next month um, <laughs> in reference to their yeah. returns. I, I think 
the likelihood of them adding uh, a starter has actually gone down since we talked last time. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, yeah no, I, I would agree. And that was my uh, trade proposal. I think I identified Mike Miner, but just as an example of the kind of sort of you know, back end of a rotation innings eating type guy that I thought they could maybe take on. And I would agree because I think in the last 10 days, the Flaherty and Michaelis have advanced probably a little farther and a little more quickly than, than it was clear they would. And and with Michaelis already having made a rehab start and Flaherty making one Tuesday. And I know the, at least the last reporting I heard suggested that the Cardinals might accelerate them to St. Louis fairly quickly and almost make their final couple, you know, rehab starts, if you will, uh, you know, short outings for the Cardinals, which frankly, I mean, that, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a good idea. So, you know, that definitely helps, but I, I really think they still, if they could acquire a starter, I think they absolutely would, <laughs> um, you know, uh, cause I think they'll still need those innings. Uh, frankly, you know, Michaelis has, you know, Michaelis has kind of ramped up and then not not come all the way back, you know, before. So um, I'm I'm a little kind of I'll believe it when I see it with Michaelis. And, you know, with any pitcher returning from injury, you know, you can you can think, oh, we're almost there. We're almost there. We're not there. So um, so, I, you know, I still think there's a chance. But, you, you know, you make a good point. Uh, every team is struggling for those starting pitching innings. And so it is a little hard to imagine. Um, and I think there was even a, an article we may have even shared with each other the past week about this, you know, about the Royals, you know, the Royals aren't in contention, but if they trade, you know, uh, Mike Miner or Danny Duffy, who's injured right now, but you know, if they trade somebody who's a potential starter there, like who's going to pitch for them, you know, yeah. like, and, and the same holds true with the Cardinals. And I know if, if the Cardinals were to be sellers. And I, I do think that's a possibility still. I think there's a chance that they make a move. Um, and one of the names I hear people throw along around a lot is, uh, is KK. And I think that certainly makes a lot of sense in terms of he's a guy who, you know, is not, um, uh, not signed for next year. Right. He's, I think his, this is his final year, um, you know, would have a lot of value to another team. So I think in, in that sense, that's a name that makes a lot of sense, but I see that as very unlikely for that exact reason. Then it creates this huge hole that they've been struggling to fill all season. So I think, you know, even if they could potentially get a couple, you know, decent kind of mid-level prospects out of it, I don't think they want to create that hole in their big league roster this year. Do you, do you see them, um, you know, a move where they're essentially sellers, if we're going to call it that, do, do, how likely is that? And, and if they did, what would you, who would you see them potentially moving? Um, I, I could see it. Um, if, if they're moving anyone, I think it's going to be like, you know, maybe a Miller, uh, you know, he's a veteran who probably wants to be in the postseason hunt managers and front office types tend to like that veteran proviness. He's been pitching well lately. Uh, and, you know, he's the type of guy that I could see them unloading. Um, and I have only further cemented my opinion regarding KK. I just, I don't, I would be very surprised because of the innings void that they have if they traded him. Um, but you know, you look at that roster, there's just not a lot uh, that if you want to win next year that you can unload to help you win next year. There's a whole lot of established guys for a win now uh, front office and uh, some of the more palatable trade options are players that are part of the Cardinals future. And I'd be very surprised if they went anywhere. And I know a lot of people yeah. have said, well, they need to like look at trading Yachty it's rare that you see a catcher, uh, a starting catcher change teams at the trade deadline uh, because of how intertwined catchers are with the pitching staffs throughout the year. And if any, yeah. if any catcher could do it, you know, it's probably Yadier Molina. And if there's any manager who would probably be okay with Yadier Molina doing it, it's probably Tony La Russa. Um, but I would still be shocked. You know, there was the, the rumor that the Cardinals are discussing an extension with Yachty. And I think we're, we're in the, you know, Cardinal for life stage here. Like that's, yeah. that's, that's the default setting. 
and I think it's the same thing for Adam Wainwright. You know, those would be the other two, I guess, veteran players who are not under contract next year who would typically be a trade candidate. But just for legacy purposes and also the impact on the team, I've, I like Arenado uh, likes playing with them. You know, everyone lauds the way that Yachty works with young pitchers. I would just be shocked if any of those guys uh, were even involved in any serious talks, let alone traded. Well, and especially since Yachty hasn't played for three days with some mysterious injury. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, um, no, I agree. I agree. Um, I, uh, yeah, I think, you know, Miller definitely makes sense. I, 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 even a few weeks ago, I would have said, I don't think that is likely just because like who on earth would want him? What would you get from him? But he's, he's been okay enough that, you know, it would be an extremely minor trade, but that could be something that happened and there was an upgrade. Um, you know, I still do see Gallegos as possibly being maybe the biggest name that they could, you know, they could move um, just because I think, I think he could fetch a fairly good haul at, uh, you know, um, a trade deadline, you know, to bring in a, a real kind of impact reliever like that. And so I don't expect that's going to happen, but, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's somebody that other teams are asking about. And if somebody asked about him and there was enough of a package there, um, you, you know, it wouldn't be, I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't be shocked to see a move like that happen. Uh, but Ben, you kind of started segueing into trade rumors. And I think we kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit and just the, sort of anatomy of a trade rumor. And I mean, we're all going to be reading these over the next couple of weeks. So what are some of the things that you look for there uh, as you're kind of parsing out these little nuggets of information? Uh, the first thing I do is, is if it's a tweet, I make sure it's from the real person. Um, <laughs> I, it's, it's a joke. Robot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Ken Rosenthal one instead of Ken Rosenthal. Um, you know, every year it seems like I will have a retweet into my timeline of a trade that didn't actually happen from a fake account. And so before, if you're on Twitter, before you freak out, make sure it's the real deal, you know, click on the profile and look at it. Uh, the other thing is always keep in mind that every team is talking to almost every other team about a whole slew of players. And the reason they're doing it is they're trying to gauge the value of the player they're talking about. They're trying to gauge the value uh, of a similar player on other teams and what they might have to give up to get that player. They're also trying to gauge what the market might be for players who are on their team. And so it's a part of the due diligence of front offices that they have conversations about a lot of players to kind of figure out what they're looking at for a market and whether or not they might be interested in acquiring or dealing a player. And so when you see something where the Cardinals have had conversations with Team X about player Y, that doesn't mean that those conversations were that far along. They could have just been gauging what the market is, um, a part of that due diligence. Um, the other thing is uh, try to separate reporting from speculation it's the time of the year where a lot of people did do what we just did which is oh well we think these might be the players that the cardinals would right. uh, be interested in these might be the players that they would trade we are not basing that on any firsthand knowledge so you know make sure that you're uh looking at that and it's not someone speculating that the Cardinals should do this or would do this, but it's someone who's citing sources and saying that these conversations are happening. Um, also, you know, there are the gold standards in this area of the trade rumor gossip mill, you know, and it's Rosenthal, it's Morrissey, uh, Passon does a very good job for ESPN. And, you know, those are kind of the, in my mind, the big three, and yeah, and Heyman, who we don't really like, but Heyman yes. does break some stuff yeah, he, as well. He has enough agent sources because he carries their water during free agent season that a lot of times he gets <laughs> heads up on trades. So, John, we, right? And, and and the other source I would say is you know the, the beat writers do uh, do occasionally break something too. You know, yeah. so if you have something from one of the the beat writers, um, but it does seem like these big trades most likely come through the the big national writers yes. um, are usually the ones that that break those. Uh, 
Yeah. And, you know, so to your point about uh, separating speculation from reporting, I actually just went and uh, kind of thumbed through some of the recent posts at MLB Trade Rumors. You know, you can sort by team, of course. And so I'm sure for teams like the the you know Padres who just uh, made a move tonight and uh, picked up uh, Adam Frazier. Did you see that? I, the Pirates? I did see that. And that surprised me a little bit. Um, cause I assume they're probably yeah. going to play him at maybe first base a little bit. Uh, uh, I don't, I didn't, I didn't dig that far into it, but, uh, I, I was only, uh, you know, some of the teams are, are going to have a lot of really active rumors. The Cardinals of course have, you know, virtually nothing, <laughs> but, you know, but flipping through and looking at some of the things that were there, there's some really dubious stuff you'll find there. So there was a post just a few days ago that suggested that, Nelson, Nelson, it was basically the, the, the story was about how there were National League teams looking at Nelson Cruz or, you know, Nelson Cruz could be an option for a National League team was sort of the structure of it. And there were a couple teams mentioned who it sounded like there was a little bit of sourcing, like they'd had a scout come look or there were, you know, some kind of thing like that. But then later in the story, it said that Nelson Cruz could also be a fit for the Cardinals, a team that has struggled for outfield production. That's just wild speculation. And I think for those of us who follow the Cardinals, you know, that idea is crazy, especially in a story that's basically framed around the idea that a National League team, you know, might put up with Nelson Cruz's outfield defense. I think if there's one team in baseball that knows uh, the damage that Nelson Cruz's outfield defense can do, it's the St. Louis Cardinals (laughs) because he was single-handedly responsible for uh, our 11th World Championship. Uh, But then there was another story, I think one of the most recent stories they had that mentioned the Cardinals, the headline is Giants interested in Danny Duffy, okay, is the headline of the story. And then, um, uh, but it was sort of linked to the Cardinals, and uh, uh, I saw some places where it said Cardinals interested in Danny Duffy, but if you flip down through it, it's actually talking about the the Cardinals and Rangers having scouts recently watching the Giants. So it was actually kind of about the other side of of that potential trade. And then on top of that, it said, so from the Cardinals and the Giants, who could they have that could be on, uh, uh, who from the Cardinals could be on the Giants radar? And they threw out KK Kim, of course, or even longtime Cardinal Adam Wainwright. Now, I wouldn't imagine the odds of Adam Wainwright being traded to the San Francisco Giants are extremely low. <laughs> and, and Ben, you threw out the idea of uh, Yachty possibly going to the White Sox, uh, which that sort of makes sense with Tony LaRusso. I think the only way those two guys get traded is if they both get traded to the Dodgers in order to go for one last world championship with Albert Pujols. I think that could be where they, <laughs> they go off as a package together. And I think all Cardinal fans would really enjoy that and watch and, and cheer for those Dodgers, wouldn't we? I, yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I was just uh, kind of laughing because uh, I had not even considered Twitter's reaction if the White Sox traded for Yachty uh, with everything that's happened with Mercedes uh, with uh, Mercedes, uh, Mercedes yeah, yeah. and uh, how people's heads would just explode and I then the thought of Yachty uh, going to the Dodgers I, I don't want to think about it was very jarring to see Albert Pujols in Dodger blue um, not quite as jarring as seeing Jim Edmonds in Cubs blue uh, when he mm-hmm. made his way uh, to Wrigleyville, uh, the Wrigleyville cl- Cubs, right? Um, anyway, uh, yeah. like the thought of seeing midseason like Wainwright and Yachty in Dodger blue uh, I, is very unpleasant for me. So I, I don't appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, well, what if you know you know Wayno is kind of fills some innings there, but then he's just pitching out of the bullpen in the postseason and. He throws the final strike of the World Series to Yachty and Albert runs in from first base and they embrace and they all retire together and say we're Dodgers for life. I mean, that could, you know, that could That's happen. horrible. Horrible. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm in a dark place. But, tonight, but, I guess. but MLB so, trade rumors, you're right. Like that post is just pure rank speculation. And, um, yeah. and you know, it is very interesting that the, the Cardinals had – scouts at at the giants since uh if i remember correctly they don't play the giants again this year um right so there wouldn't even be a reason for that but also really weird why would the cardinals have scouts watching the giants for major league talent you would think if they were going to do a trade 
they would want scouts right. at minor league giants organizational games. Um, so you just kind of have to look at it through that lens of if someone who's a national writer is just throwing things out, just kind of like, oh, well, they could be interested in these two. It's like, well, yeah, they mm-hmm. could be, but that just seems really unlikely given the innings pitch deficit the Cardinals are staring down right now. I always, I always have the feeling that uh, MLB Trade Rumors is aware of having uh, hits in their feed for each team like reasonably often. So I think if it's been three or four days without anything about the Cardinals, they'll just, you know, in the last paragraph, they'll throw in, you know, the St. Louis Cardinals are also a Major League Baseball team yeah. or something like that. So, um, show back up. so uh, I'm going to share a fun story about the process that we used when I was the site manager at Viva Albertos, which I haven't really shared with very many people. Um, we had a good anonymous source who was dead on with a few emails and uh, we didn't run stories, but we prepared posts so that we had our analysis of the signing or what have you ready the minute it became. Uh, And the reason being, it was an anonymous source who we didn't know and we couldn't verify it. So uh, in the off season, uh, I get this email that says the Cardinals have agreed to trade uh, Shelby, uh, and uh, Shelby Miller for Jason Hayward, uh, you know, and mm-hmm. um, and a minor league arm, and uh, so we all worked the people we had uh, to try and get this story verified. And I had uh, then I asked Aaron Finkel to write up the analysis of the trade uh, in case it broke while we were working the story, and. Uh, Joe Schwartz, who wrote for us at the time, actually spoke with the the minor league pitcher involved and confirmed that he was in the trade. Uh, But we didn't know who else was in it. And then like a few minutes after Joe was able to confirm that trade, like Cardinals Twitter (laughs) post the Cardinals Twitter account, like posted the trade. And so that was that was my best experience with an anonymous source uh, on a trade. And um, also indicative of the high standards we had at Viva Albertos uh, when I was a site manager there. Um, but uh, I, I don't know if it's still on the website, but it's funny because like Aaron Finkel embedded the Cardinals tweet like two minutes after it broke. And it's like the super long analysis of the trade. And I always get a, <laughs> get a chuckle out of that because there's no way – you know, if you were to look at it and do the math, there's no way Aaron did that, but it was a good post. And that that's my uh, my trade rumor story from my Viva Albertos days. Well, that reminds me of there's there's video out there. It's probably on YouTube of uh, Tom Brokaw. He was uh, getting ready to go on like a month long vacation. And they uh, they thought that uh, Frank Sinatra was circling the drain. So there is video of Tom Brokaw. Uh, like announcing the death of Frank Sinatra. He hadn't even died. In fact, I believe he actually lived like a couple years. Yeah. At, like I, past didn't SNL do a skit where it was Tom Brokaw was getting ready to go on vacation and they had him read <laughs> things that they thought might happen. And it was like deaths and wars. And uh, oh, I, I don't remember that, but that would be a, that would be a good, a good sketch. So, but, um, but yeah, so you, anyway, you were kind of, uh, you know, you were kind of Tom Brokawing it there a little bit there at Viva Albertos. So if you had the manpower, you could really, you could write up every possible trade scenario. Yeah. It's like the New York times with obituaries, you know, you, (laughs) you write each player's Cardinals obituary for when they're traded, uh, to another team, uh, and what you kind of think that would, that would look like. Um, yeah. And yeah, you have, you have that, your, your Molina and Wainwright to the Dodgers blockbuster uh, post ready to go. So as soon as, uh, you know, Jeff Passan, uh, you know, posted on Twitter, you're, uh, you're, you're live and running. So anyway, well, I think that's enough, maybe uh, trade rumor speculation for now. Um, I think, the overall message, as much as I would tell my comp one students when I was teaching comp one, you know, you check your sources, use primary sources, people <laughs> see where this stuff is coming from. But uh, moving on, uh, we wanted to talk about Harrison Bader and, um, you know, uh, he uh, homered again today. Um, Harrison Bader is a little bit of a different player this year. Um, ben, what are you, what are you seeing out of Bader? Uh, well, I, you know, you 
have listened to me blab on and on about uh, Cardinals players uh, more than enough over the last couple years, but I've always been highly skeptical of him because of all the swing and miss in his game. And, um, Mm -hmm. and the swing and miss uh, really isn't there as much anymore. And it's, you know, we are in still the the small sample size territory of player production for Bader because he has missed so much time. But if you go through and and you look at, you know, that K rate uh, entering play today was about half what it was last year and about 12 and a half percentage points lower than it was in 2019. Um, and uh, about 13 percentage points lower than it was in 2018. And so to me, it's been really interesting also to watch him, at, you know, as we all do. He, he does seem to be working the strike zone better. He seems to be doing a better job of IDing pitches and staying within his zone and looking for pitches to hit. And, you know, it, it has been a very heartening 2021 so far for him. And it makes me wonder what the season could have been for him and for the Cardinals uh, if he hadn't gotten injured. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I think, honestly, I almost feel like this is like a, a mystery that, that could use solving. Um, what what has changed for Bader? And I think we've seen um, several... Uh, uh, possible suspects thrown out there. So I'm just going to throw out some of them that we've had uh, reported on. So uh, Derek Gould had a story uh, not too long ago. Uh, well, it's probably a couple of months, a month or two ago, but um, about how Bader began working with former Cardinals hitting coach or assistant hitting coach anyway, uh, Bill Miller um, over the off season. And in that uh, Bader talks about just kind of how Miller, who was still with the team when Bader first came up, um, so, and, and so Bader just always kind of felt like he, he, you know, kind of jived with him and, uh, liked his philosophy. He talks about how he's, he's staying on the ball. He's focusing on the ball. He's just kind of, you know, really, uh, locked into the ball is basically what he says. The word ball appears quite often in that story. <laughs> so, um, so that's one, so that's one suspect is, uh, you know, he started working with this former hitting coach who he uh, really clicked with. Another suspect, uh, which came from this uh, story from Jeff Jones, is the fact that he had surgery in the offseason to remove polyps from his nasal passages, which apparently had caused um, a lot of uh, watery eyes and just kind of really intense sort of allergic type symptoms, um, especially throughout the like summer, you know, I guess the more intense summer months. Um, And so he's he's seeing the ball a lot better. From from that, um, so those are two of the suspects. Do we have any other suspects out there? Um, I I think those are the the two big ones. Uh, we know he is apparently not a fan of the current Cardinals uh, major league uh, hitting coaches. Um, so we we can oh, yeah. probably write them off. Uh, he showed up to a restaurant and brought his own food. It's yes. pretty clear what he thinks about yes. <laughs> the current hitting coach. Um, but to me, it's really fascinating that he, you know, gives an interview with Derek Gould about his offseason uh, workout regime for hitting and how he, he has changed his approach. But he leaves out the fact that he had uh, polyps removed from his nasal cavity <laughs> that his yeah. family physician told him would get so bad he would have to have them removed a few years ago. And he didn't do it. <laughs> he waited right. until this offseason because apparently they got bad enough that they were impacting his sight, comfort, what have you, enough to motivate him to go under the knife and have these removed. Or maybe it wasn't a knife. I don't know what type of procedure it was. But, uh, you know, I was just kind of thinking, you know, if I were Gould and I were doing this story and he didn't say, oh, yeah, it also helped me that I had these polyps removed and I can see. <laughs> Yeah, that's maybe yeah. why the word ball appeared a lot in the article, because he can see it more. And he's like, ball, ball, I can see yeah. the ball. Uh, right. It's it's his interior monologue now. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and so it's uh, it's it's interesting to read this. And I think it's important for players uh, to use uh, coaches or instructors that they have 
uh, a good working relationship with. And, you know, I remember like Skip Schumacher used to work with Mark McGuire in the off season. You know, I, I, I made the joke about reading this as an indictment of, of Bader's feelings about the current hitting coaches, but you know, I, I highly doubt that Bader is like ignoring the, the, meetings that they have before a series about pitchers and how they're going to approach them and those types of things. Um, You know, so it's not uncommon uh, for uh, current players to use coaches or hit with former players. You know, Matt Carpenter worked out with Lance Berkman a couple off seasons ago, trying to help find his stroke. So it's not at all uncommon. I think frankly, it's probably a little bit, healthy after a 162 game season to go get another voice. Um, yeah. Well, and you know, we, um, you're right. And it's, it's one of these things and it just, it gets back to the whole idea that we don't have any idea what happens with coaches. Like we don't, you know, like we just, we don't know. There is a little bit of a disconnect in that when, uh, when the club hired Albert, uh, part and, and, and let go, uh, Budaska, part of what they said was, well, we don't, we, we want one voice. Like we don't want like multiple voices, um, that they're listening to, um, which of course this then, you know, would, would sort of go against that. But, but I'm with you. I think this makes a lot of sense. And actually, if we think back to the, uh, that, uh, you know, Sarah's article on the, uh, the giants, um, that we, we talked about on one of the last episodes, um, you know, and the, the giants have this enormous coaching staff. It's like a college football, like coaching staff. And, uh, and part of it is that there's just, there's all these different voices and players can kind of find the coach who, you know, uh, speaks their language to help them, uh, get on track. And so the, the Saris article, it's really highlighting how, especially for some veteran players like Brandon Crawford's kind of the main one that's highlighted in there. You know, he's found a, a coach in the system that's helping him kind of like lock into what he needs to do. And, and frankly, that that makes a ton of sense to me to go to more of that approach. And that's why, again, I, I'm very, uh, you know, public with my idea that hitting coaches should be fired and pitching coaches pretty regularly. But the, but the reason being, I mean, let's be honest, when you're a coach, you've got you've got a handful of techniques and you've got a handful of ideas that you throw out there and, and they, you know, if you're a good coach, they often work and they often spark players, but there's a limit to how many you have. And they also, they can, they go flat over time. You know, it's like a, it's like a two liter of Coke that you put in the fridge a week ago. There's, there's a point where just those ideas, that framework, however you're doing it, it, it doesn't necessarily trigger results anymore, even with a player who maybe it once did. So you, you kind of need those fresh voices. So, um, yeah, so to that end, I think it's uh, it, it's it's really valuable that, you know, that he found this. And, and if, you know, you can go to something like that Giants uh, model where you've got, you know, multiple voices out there, you know, maybe that's an improvement. It definitely seems like it's helped Harrison Bader. Yeah, and – you know, you were talking about how it's like a, a college football uh, coaching staff. Well, well, even now you see these former college coaches. Now they're brought in as quote unquote analysts to get around NCAA rules, but to bring like right. even more perspective and viewpoints and voices into the overall coaching approach. And so, yeah. um, you know, I, I think it's a healthy thing. I, I think it's a good thing. And um, I also think sometimes it's just, you know, the change, as you have said, alone is a positive thing uh, for the player uh, and sometimes for the team. And it certainly seems to be working for Bader, although I would be fascinated to know, you know, because he struck out, he has struck out, right? Like he has always been a high strikeout guy. So whether right. it's Buddha, whether it's the Mathi- the Mabry uh, Bill Miller, you know, brain geniuses helping him hit. <laughs> and I, I had to fit that in on Mabry cause I just don't like him. Um, <laughs> but like whether it's them, he has struck out, right? Like he has done yeah. that. And so to me, I'm almost more inclined to be like, yeah, Harrison, it makes a big difference when you can see the ball, man. Like, <laughs> like after this surgery, oh, getting the, the polyps removed. I, my inclination in this circumstance is to be like, it's the fact that he can see 
that is helping now, oh, <laughs> you know. It, it, it is 100% that. And, you know, there was a, a really good Fangraphs article that was published way back on May 21st. So this is like pretty early in the kind of, you know, uh, Bader, what's he doing? But it, it really broke down just all of the changes in what he's doing. And, and embedded in there is uh, a graph, you know, showing his his O swing percentages, Z swing percentage, all of his, you know, swings in the zone, swings outside the zone, contact, contact, you know, th- that stuff. And what it comes down to is he is better at everything. He is better at everything this year. He is swinging at strikes more. He is not chasing as much as he used to. When he does swing outside the zone, he's making contact more outside the zone. It's literally everything on there. And so to me, that's that, that just suggests it has to be just that he's seeing the ball better because I think approach and, and he's talked about approach in the past. And I think he tried to correct that chasing thing with with approach. But that turned into not swinging at balls yep. in the strike zone. And and this to me just looks like, you you, you know, I, I think you could you could change approach and you could cut down or improve in like certain select areas there. If you're better at literally everything, I think you're just seeing the ball better. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm just I'm reminded I I for folks who don't know me, I have glasses I have never been able to see. And my dad took me frog hunting and we caught a frog and we put it in an aquarium and I kept telling my dad how happy I was about the frog, but I couldn't really see it. Like, so I have this pet frog that I can't really see. Well, then I, my parents took me to the eye doctor and I had to get glasses. And I remember when I put the glasses on the first time I saw that frog, I was just like, oh, wow, I have a pet frog, (laughs) you know, like I couldn't see it. (laughs) And I was pretending that I could because I was so happy that my dad took me frog hunting. And then when I finally got glasses and I could see it when I was like three or four years old, it's one of my earliest memories is being able to see my pet frog. Um, oh my and gosh. now I, I have to, admit, I kind of, I kind of hope that was going to turn out that there actually was no frog there. And it was just <laughs> no, my dad is not. Yeah. My dad is not that uh, type of person. Well, I didn't think, he, I didn't think he was that kind of a person, but it would have made for a hell of a yes, story. It would have. But so I think about, uh, my inability to see, uh, also, uh, has plagued me with hitting breaking balls you know, when I got older playing baseball. And so I can imagine if you're Harrison Bader and he's so elite and so skilled, like compared to the rest of humanity at baseball. And so then like suddenly he can see the, the, what that feels like. I mean, it's got to feel almost like a different game, you know, trying to hit for him. And so I, you know, it, it has that article uh, from Jones has made me much more optimistic about his improvement this year lasting Uh, because I'm agree. You know, if you have uh, an improvement in his eyesight, you know, that's going to go a long way for him. Oh, absolutely. Because, well, like we said, approach is important and, but it it can be ephemeral and it can, you know, it can, something triggers it and you're, you have a good approach and then it can drift away. But yeah, if you can see better, that's pretty, (laughs) (laughs) it's, uh, to me, I'm just like, yeah, that, that's a big difference. You know, you, you, uh, you being able to see, and especially with the breaking stuff folks are throwing at you. I mean, I can't imagine not being able to see clearly and trying to hit, you know, 97, you know, yeah. with an 89 mile an hour wipeout slider coming your way. It, you know, yeah. it's, it would be a ridiculous uh, thing to try to attempt. And it's really a testament to his skill that he's done as well ha- as he has not being able to see yeah. clearly. Well, and I'll be honest, at the beginning of the season, I thought Bader was somebody that I thought could be a guy who got traded this year because I just thought, I don't know if they're quite settled in on this guy. He's got these really, really strong aspects of his game, but he's got these like fairly significant holes too. It, you know, are, is this going to be the year that they just decide, you know what, this is not our, this is not going to be our everyday guy in center field. And then that's a spot they upgrade. And I, I see that as pretty unlikely now. And I think that that O'Neill Bader Carlson outfield, uh, you know, looks like that could be, you know, could be locked in for, for a little while. And I think it could be, could be quite good. So, um, so Ben, uh, with that, and we're going to be back in just a, just a few days, just a couple days, we've got another off day coming up. So we'll be, we'll be back soon to break down the dozens of moves that we're expecting the Cardinals will make, uh, the complete transformation <laughs> of the team. Um, <laughs> but Ben, over these next, uh, just couple days, what are you going to be looking for? 
Uh, I'm going to be looking for uh, really just the the feedback on Michaelis and Flaherty, uh, because I think that's going to have an impact on what the team does to try to cover the innings deficit. And, you know, that's really going to be my focus. I know that's the obvious one, but you know, that, that is going to be the most important development, uh, over the next few days is how they feel after their, their outings and whether they're able to bounce back and continue on the path to starting again before the end of the year. Nice. Nice. Um, I am going to be doing exactly what, uh, and looking for exactly what we kind of suggested not to look for. And that's, I'm going to click on every stupid trade rumor that I see float through on, on Twitter. And I will try to be, uh, critical enough not to, uh, yeah, as you said, you know, retweet Ken Rosenthal one, um, or, <laughs> or whoever, but, uh, you know, uh, as kind of, uh, it's it's just it's a really silly industry and you know the mlb trade rumors site really um you know really kind of took something that wasn't an industry and made it into its its own industry and of course twitter is is really custom built for this kind of thing as well and so as much as i know that like 99.99 percent of what i see is going to be just you know, utter bullshit. Uh, I, I'm still going to be following it because <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I'm interested. It's a, uh, it's an important time of year. It's a time of year that we know most of the time nothing's going to happen. But you know, every now and then you can have this really transformative thing happen to your to your baseball team. So it's it's it, you know it can be exciting. And so I'm going to be on the lookout for that. So. Um, while I'm not doing that, uh, Ben, do you have any off day recommendations for me? Uh, I do. There was a really good, uh, post on fan graphs, uh, with, uh, that focused on Nick Plummer, the former Cardinals first round draft pick. Um, and it had, it was based on an interview, uh, that the, uh, that Fangraphs did uh, with Nick Plummer, and it's from David uh, Lorilla, who does a lot of really good interviews. He has a really good Sunday Notes post on Fangraphs, and I, I think this is the most in-depth that I have seen in terms of talking with Plummer about, you know, kind of he had almost bottomed out really as a prospect, um, and he really was looking kind of like this is his for all intents and purposes, you know, his last chance to kind of change the perception of him and just how the team met with him. And, you know, you're and talked about what he was doing and what they needed to see from him and how he has incorporated that. And he's off to a great start um, and really having a great season for double A Springfield. And I thought that fan post was a really good read. Nice. And in fact, uh, I was actually going to mention that as well. We didn't talk ahead of time about what our, we, we need to play ahead better, better, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. No, I was, I was going to mention that. Um, cause I agree. I, and it's such a fascinating piece and just it, 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 really interesting to look at a guy in his position. It's not always a position, you know, it's usually guys are, are prospects and then they're washouts. And so it's kind of a real unique, uh, you know, unique position he's in. So, um, well, this one isn't so much a recommendation, but I did uh, this last week, uh, actually just yesterday, in fact, I had the chance to go see Peoria play a game uh, up in the Quad Cities and uh, see uh, Jordan Walker uh, play. He actually hit his first home run while I was taking my son to the restroom. So, um, <laughs> so my half day recommendation is don't take your kids to the baseball game um, because you'll miss out on the good stuff and all you'll get in return is, you know, the kind of camaraderie and see the you know, they're like growing love and appreciation of the game. Um, but, uh, no, it was, uh, anyway, it was fun. It's always fun to see minor league games. Um, uh, John Torres homered as well. Um, you know, a handful of players there as there are with all the Cardinal teams that are really interesting. So, uh, anytime, whether it's the off day or not, you have a chance to, um, you know, watch a little bit of, of some of those guys play. It's, it's always interesting to kind of see where those guys are at in their development. And especially when you see them, you know, hit a home run or do something kind of spectacular, it's like you get that little sneak preview of like, oh, this is what this guy could do if everything comes together. And we know that, you know, many 
of them, most of them even are going to hit a ceiling somewhere, maybe even before they get to the majors that doesn't let them do that on the biggest stage. But it's always it's always fun to see that. So um, if you get a chance to check one of those out, check it out. And if not, just follow Kyle Reese because he gifts, uh, you know, yes. <laughs> all of the moments um, from these guys. And it's it's uh, it's always fun to see. And I'm I'm jealous. The Quad Cities is a wonderful place uh, to see a ball game. Uh, I have a lot of fond memories. Uh, Colton Wong homering into the Mississippi River. Uh, Trevor Rosenthal, uh, Carlos Martinez, who maybe weighed a, a buck fifty, soaking wet, throwing like ninety eight. Um, <laughs> you know, just the uh, the seeing a lot of future major leaguers come through the Quad Cities. Uh, Oscar Tavares and having the teammate who is assigned to the uh, the radar gun after he made a, a, a great catch and kind of showboated it going, he's such a hot dog <laughs> about him. <laughs> and then, uh, and then later having Matthew Leach, the former Cardinals beat writer for MLB.com describing how he does everything with Brio <laughs> and that I will yeah. always have that memory. Uh, and it's very sad what happened to him, but the quad cities are just, it's a wonderful ballpark. That's why they filmed a movie there. Uh, sugar which folks should rent too and so i'm very jealous that you got to go uh, see a game there because uh, minor league baseball is a lot of fun and i think like the low minors are especially fun to go see oh yeah oh yeah 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 sure i'll I'll have to save sugar for another off day recommendation that's a great that's a great movie that not enough people have seen yeah so Anyway, well, with that, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. Uh, we are going to be back in just a couple days to, to talk some more. So uh, if there's anything in particular you'd be interested in, in hearing us chat about or if you've got questions you'd like us to answer, we uh, always love to hear from people. So uh, you can uh, email us at uh, cardinalsoffday at substack.com. You can tweet at us. Uh, we're at cardinalsoffday on Twitter. Um, and until then, uh, go Cardinals, and we'll see you all in a couple days. 